0: Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at lutheranpodcast.com You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. All right, everyone. Well, welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast. Thanks for listening today. This is Pastor Eric, and with me is Pastor Ben, our lead pastor. And today we have um, we have a great new series, and it's going to be very, very short—just a couple weeks. Um, and we got done with our life group series. Uh, we wrapped that up last week. Um, it was a great series. We went through a lot of really good information. Um, that was kind of meant for training for our life group leaders and those who are in life groups to get an idea uh, and to get some resources for what they're doing. But now we're going to move on, um, and we are we are entering into this new season um, of the church calendar, a new season of the Congregational Life, um, and in a couple of weeks, we're going to um, have our Ash Wednesday service, and that kicks off the season of Lent. So I wanted to take a, a brief interlude for a couple of weeks uh, before Ash Wednesday and just talk about Lent, what it is, um, why we do it. We have um, a lot of folks here at New Life, we're kind of in a unique position uh, for a Lutheran church, uh, because we have a lot of people who did not grow up Lutheran, um, who did not grow up even in the church. And if they did grow up in the church, they grew up in a primarily kind of non-denom or more evangelical, American evangelical flavor. So there are lots of things that we do um, that are new uh, to many of our new members um, and to many of uh, those people who are attending our our services. Um, and so some of these historical elements that we are engaging in, that we uh, uh, continue to do because they're beneficial and because they help us in our spiritual life. Um, and so we want, I wanted to explain Lent a little bit um, to our listeners, to our congregation, to especially help those who have maybe uh, never heard of Lent or they know it it's its a thing, but they don't really know what's going on. They know that McDonald's serves the Filet-O-Fish during Lent, but they don't quite understand why that's all the case. So we're going to take the next couple weeks, and we're just going to break down Um. Uh, kind of the historical background of Lent. Uh, we're going to look at some of the biblical uh, foundations of Lent, some of the spiritual benefits, and then we're going to talk about practicing Lent—how to like um, what things that we can do and how we can actually engage in some of these spiritual practices. So, with me is Pastor Ben. Uh, hey, Pastor Ben, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Good. Um, so, Pastor Ben and I, uh, we love each other. We enjoy working with each other, and the nice thing about us is that we have different strengths. Uh, we're both we both enjoy teaching, um, but kind of the what we're passionate about um, and really really enjoy engaging in is a little bit different. Pastor Ben um, is really good and uh, really uh, he knows a lot, very knowledgeable um, around history. And why um, the historical development of particular things, and that's kind of a, a strength that he's brought, especially uh, not only to our Sunday morning experience, but also to the podcast, um, giving insight historically. Um, and I'm very passionate about scripture and the development of scripture, and um, what we're and what what that what the Bible has to say to us. So, um, not that we don't, you know, cross pollinate, but just. In general, we we enjoy those two two areas a little bit. We're passionate about those two areas. So we're going to take this time, and uh, Pastor Ben is going to walk us through the historical development of Lent. Um, he's going to walk us through how it got started and, and why the church practiced it and how we got where we are today. So I want to kick that over to you, Pastor Ben. Why don't you walk us through um, what where does Lent come from and why, why do we do it? Sure. If you
1: are not familiar with Lent, you've at least probably heard this kind of phrase of what are you giving up for Lent? And you, you've you probably even used it before, sarcastically. I know I've, I've used it before where someone's like, hey, let's go on a jog. And I'm like, no, I, I gave that up for Lent, <laughs> right? And uh, I grew up in a church that was maybe like yours, a more evangelical church, where we didn't practice Lent. So I always heard people talking about Lent, but I really had no context or, or really any understanding of what it was. So I'm going to give you kind of the history of where it came from, and then we're going to walk all the way up to present day so you can understand how it was practiced, how it is practiced, and really how it can be something that you can put into your life. And so right away as we look at Lent, we see in the very, very early church, all the way back to the Apostolic Fathers, and when I say Apostolic Fathers, I'm talking about uh, those leaders who were directly connected to the disciples, okay? So they were trained in the shadow of John and and Matthew and and those types of people, and then they were taking the faith and and taking it to the next generation of people. And so they had this practice called Lent, and it was primarily a time of preparation to celebrate Easter. But you have to remember the culture and the history in which these early Christians were living, People were not friendly to the gospel. People were not friendly to Christians. In fact, until uh, 313 AD, Christianity was illegal, which means people were dying for their faith, which means even if they were living out Lenten practices in their life, they were doing it secretly. When Easter came, it was a celebration, but it was a private celebration. It was a secret celebration, because if people caught them celebrating Easter, they were going to die Right? They were going to go into the arena. They were going to get burned at the stake. There was all these horrific results for claiming the, the cross of Christ. And so if you're looking for a reason to believe, it's that first 300 years of Christianity that should really be a cornerstone for you. Because these people, directly after the resurrection, held on to this amazing story that Christ was crucified, he died, and was buried... And then he rose again. That's what they clung to. They clung to a moment. They didn't cling to scripture because that had yet to be written, right? People are still writing the biographies of Christ around this moment and spending a lot of money to do so. But that that real catalyst for belief for us, that, that factual point is that Christianity survived. When the whole world had turned against Christians, Christianity survived. And so in 313, something amazing happened. The Roman government, which is very, very anti-Christian, because they thought the Christians were going to overthrow their leadership. They blamed the burning of Rome on Christians. It was just horrific across the board, right? It was illegal. Finally, it became legalized. And not just legalized, it became the official religion of Rome. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that happened, uh, despite all the persecution. So, because that, the practices of Lent— were allowed to be formalized and publicized. So at the First Council of Nicaea and in 325 AD, the formal practices of Lent were put into place. And primarily, it was a time of preparation for two types of people. Those who were going to get baptized, so obviously adults looking towards baptism, they would go through this time of preparation, and they'd be baptized on Easter. It was also a time for those who had been baptized to remember their baptism. Right, to return to God, to be penitent for the mistakes that they had made, and then to remember what God had done for them already and whose they were, and then to uh, reclaim that in their lives. And so, up until the Reformation, which is the 1500s, everyone practiced Lent. And there was really no discussion whether Lent should be practiced or should it be practiced. The only really debate that was going on is how the 40 days were to be practiced. Mm. And so if you didn't catch that already, if you didn't know that already, Lent is a 40 day journey to Easter. But in the early church, uh, especially right before the Reformation, there was a debate about how those 40 days would be spread out. For us now, the 40 days are every day from Ash Wednesday to Easter, excluding Sundays. But for some people, they would exclude Saturdays and Sundays, mm-hmm. turning it from a six-week experience to an eight-week experience. Now, in our, in our modern day, obviously it's a 40-day experience without the Sundays, and so that's the typical practice of the church launched by Ash Wednesday. But during the Reformation, when the Bible was given back to the people and that was a, a wonderful time, it also sparked a lot of debate and a lot of division amongst different denominations and different teachers and how we understood an infinite God with finite minds. And so as people did that and lived that out and split into their camps, the practice of Lent for some people was excluded. And the primary reason that that happened was as people split away from the Roman Catholic Church at that point in time, they landed in two camps. The first camp were those who who took all the practices of the Catholic Church and then compared it to Scripture, and if it conflicted with Scripture, they removed the practices that conflicted with Scripture. So they retained all the practices that were in alignment with Scripture or that weren't that weren't in conflict with Scripture. So the other camp of Christians, they took everything that the Catholic Church did that wasn't directly in Scripture, and they removed it and stopped using it. So for half the camp— they kept taking on uh, the practice of Lent as a very positive thing that wasn't counteractive to scripture. And for the other camp, they stopped doing Lent simply because it was a practice of the Catholic church. And since because there was a lot of anti-Catholic animosity, they stopped doing it. And so if you grew up in a church that didn't practice Lent, uh, you are in that camp. Mm -hmm. The The churches that said, hey, look, if the Catholic church does it, we don't want any part of it. And so you can see how the two camps um, split there. What's interesting in our modern day is that a lot of those churches that said the Catholic Church did it, so we don't want it, now have actually taken on that practice again, because as they look back, they're like, whoa. As we look through the history, we see this was in the historical church, but we also see the positive nature of it. And so we see things like uh, Matt Chandler's church down in Texas... They actually practice Lent, mm-hmm. even though at their roots, they'd be connected to this church body that said, hey, if it's Catholic, we don't want it. But now they're seeing the benefit, and so they're putting it back into practice. And so as we look through Lent in our in our modern day, uh, we see that it's beneficial, right? It's not explicitly prescribed in Scripture. You're not going to see a section that says, Jesus said Lent should be practiced this way, but we see that it's beneficial. So even churches now are, are putting it back into practice. So what does it look like to participate in Lent? So once again, we look at its roots, and we see that it was a time of preparation. And so we put prayer into our lives, we have penance, right? We repent of the stuff that we've done, and we also have elements of sacrifice. And so in the early centuries, these elements were put in, right? These are historical elements of Lent, And so in the early centuries, um, there was fasting. In fact, there were fasting rules put into practice that were incredibly strict. So for example, um, these are some of their rules. They were allowed to have one meal a day, and it was only allowed in the evening, preferably at three o'clock. I don't know why three o'clock, maybe because (laughs) of the Trinity or the third day. I don't don't know all the correlation there, but it's at three o'clock. And they were allowed to have uh, one meal, but they were not allowed to have meat, uh, fish, or butter. Basically, this is the anti, anti-keto diet, if you're wondering, <laughs> right? So all all carbs, essentially. Only bread. Yeah, only bread. But basically, it was anything that they considered to be special, they, they removed it from themselves. Now, this strict diet, this strict law was actually kept in the church all the way up until World War II. Mm. And so now um, we have more common practices where we only fast specifically in, in, in the church in general on Ash Wednesday, which is a fast holiday, and also on, on Good Friday, right? And if you guys are really into Mardi Gras, that actually has its correlation to the day before Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. which is a day of repentance and fasting. On uh, on the the day before, right, so Fat Tuesday or, or Mardi, Mardi Gras, you basically just live in excess, which of <laughs> course is not a positive, by the way, so I'm not advocating that. That's right. Uh, but you live in excess, and then you... You fast the next day, and you say, "I'm really sorry for everything I did that's yesterday." <laughs> you know, so it's just one of those things. So we we see it playing out now in our more our more modern world. And if you have a Catholic friend, you know that they celebrate Friday fish fries. And the reason that they do that is because they have uh, they live meatless on Fridays, uh, meaning they can only consume fish, and so that's. That's why McDonald's serves fish, and you'll drive past the Catholic Church, and they have these fish fries and all this stuff, but that is a form of fasting that they don't
0: eat certain types of meats on, on Friday. Which, by the way, Lent is my favorite time of year at McDonald's because I am a huge Filet-O-Fish guy. The white bread, the cold cheddar cheese, on the, on the weeks old fried fish, man, it hits the spot, hits the spot.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of ironic, right? You kind of see how the evolution is gone. Um, but the the bottom line is this is what we're doing. When we say we give up something for Lent, what we're trying to do is take something that we really enjoy, something that we crave, uh, a craving that we meet on a daily basis or a weekly basis, and we remove it from our lives, right? So like right now, a great example is I I am on the keto diet, so I'm on the anti-early church fasting (laughs) regimen, right? So I'm only eating like meats and cheeses and and vegetables and stuff like that. And that's just a practice that I'm taking on. So I look better in the live stream at our church. (laughs) Uh, That's exactly what I'm doing. Um, But anyways, as I do that, you can't imagine what it's like to go to a restaurant that I enjoy, like Pizza Ranch or Buffalo Wild Wings and watch someone else consume pizza, which doesn't fit in my diet plan, or, or someone consume uh, boneless wings at Buffalo Wild Wings, which is some of my favorite food, but I can't eat that because there's breading on it. And, and so what happens is I crave that stuff. But in Lent, when we have those cravings, that's a way that we spark this the spirit of not only repentance, but also prayer. So you give up something for Lent so as you're living out your life and you have that craving, it actually, you turn your heart to God in that moment. Man, I really want pizza. I'm gonna turn my heart to God. And it's like this this natural red flag that pops up like, hey, you should be thinking about your creator. You should be thinking about your Lord. You should be thinking about your savior. And so when I think about pizza and I should pray, right? So I replace that craving with a positive thing. And so that's really what it is at its root is you give something up and then when that craving pops up, then you turn your heart to God. And so it's this kind of just mechanism for us to stop and think. So you can you can see the history, and it really hasn't changed that much besides maybe some of the, the strict elements of it, but it's something that's very historical. It's something that's very beneficial. It's something that most churches at this point in time are actually bringing back into play because it's not anti-biblical.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so if you're listening and you go to a Baptist church or you go to another church that doesn't use Lent as a tool? Consider it. If you're a leader, put it into practice. Mm-hmm. If you're a member, talk to your pastor. See if they'll put it into practice, and if they won't, put it into practice in your private life, mm-hmm. because it is historical, it is beneficial, and you can just imagine there's something in your life, maybe it's a, a Mountain Dew or a Pepsi or a coffee, something that, that you basically rely on if you remove that from your life, and if you prayed every time that you wanted a Mountain Dew, every time that you wanted a coffee, imagine imagine how much more communication that you'd have with God, and that's what we're doing. We're preparing our hearts to celebrate this amazing truth that God came to us, loved us, predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he pulled it off, right? He came out of the grave, he showed up, he talked to a bunch of people, Proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Those people were willing to die for their faith and to pass that faith on. And those people were, were willing to die for their faith until finally, 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 the Roman Empire legalized it, made it okay, took it off the bounty of all Christians. And so this is a beautiful time. And uh, we're connected to Christians all throughout history. And that's one of my favorite things about being connected to a church that's more traditional in nature is that we have so much history that's connected to the things that we do, the practices in our Sunday morning, the practices in our preparation for Christmas and Easter and different things along along the line that have this, this deep, rich history. So connected to that also, I said, it's not an anti-biblical thing. It's actually a pro-biblical thing. And so Pastor Eric is actually gonna help you guys connect the dots to the Bible and where we see these themes popping up and why these types of behaviors would have seemed very normal to the early church and should seem very normal to us as well in our modern day.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you Pastor Ben that was great um so when we move from an historical examination um, and kind of get the history and I and I appreciated you um, pastor Ben kind of giving the uh, almost like you kind of gave, gave us the rallying cry of like this is this is not only beneficial for us but it connects us to uh, Christians through the centuries it's a practice that's been passed down to us um, and just because it's been passed down, passed down to us doesn't mean that it's old or antiquated or uh, not useful. And and I think that you you highlighting um, very very uh, modern uh, mega churches kind of tapping into this practice shows that it is in fact beneficial. And um, and maybe it helps us reexamine some of our expectations around um, what uh, the the, the uh, the proper place of of tradition um, in our lives and in our church's lives. So thank you for that. Um, when we jump into scripture, we're gonna um, start with the with the forty days. We're gonna start with the the number forty because this is this is kind of the crux of how we can experience Lent through the scriptures and how scriptures kind of informed and have informed, um, Lenten practices. So as pastor Ben says, uh, said, we do, we do practice Lent for 40 days minus Sundays. Sundays, um, traditionally, um, are not a day that you fast because it's the day that Jesus was resurrected. So it's a party. Um, it's one of those things where, um, when Jesus said, uh, or the Pharisees were like, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting more? Um, he said how could they how could they mourn and fast when the bridegroom is here um so every Sunday is a is actually a celebration um, and that's kind of the, what the tenor of our worship services should be even even through lent um, they are a celebration because it's the day that Jesus was resurrected we break our fast on Sundays uh, because again this isn't like it's not like a cheat day right it's not a um, it's not a, well, we'll get more into that later. It's not a, it's not a diet, right? Um, it's a, it's a spiritual practice. Um, so we don't, we don't fast on Sundays, but we'll get more into the, those benefits, um, the kind of the spiritual life of that later. Uh, but when it comes to scripture. The, the reason that we do it for 40 days is connected deeply with the Old Testament story um, and the New Testament story, as the apostles um, have told it and then wrote it down and then passed it down uh, to the churches. So 40, the number 40 keeps popping up all through scripture. Um, the first time that it pops up is um, the 40 days of rain um, in, the, in the flood of Noah. And actually, forty pops up twice in that story. There's forty days and forty nights of rain that flood the whole earth, uh, but then also once um, once the boat lands on the mountain, they're in they're still in the boat on top of the mountain for forty days uh, before they get out. So um, we actually have two instances of forty in that. Um, many many years later, um, the, uh, the Moses went up to Sinai to the mountain of the Lord. Um, to talk to God, to receive the commandments. He he did that three times, and each time he went up there, it was 440 days. So after he gets the law, um, he goes up to Sinai for 40 days to get uh, God's teaching on the law, to get the interpretation of the law, essentially, um, which which some um, some folks think that this is when he really wrote down and uh, kind of formalized the story of the Pentateuch. Uh, so that we, we read about that in Deuteronomy nine. After he comes back down with the law, after that forty days, he comes back down um, with the law with, with the with the explanation of the law, and he finds the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. And then, of course, he smashes the law and like this whole that, that whole drama. He goes back up on the mountain and for forty days, he begs for forgiveness um, for the Israelites already breaking the commandment that they had just agreed, um, to, you know, 40 days before to follow. Um, so he goes up and he begs for forgiveness, um, for the people of Israel, um, and God, um, he, he says, okay, like, I'll take it easy on you. Um, then he goes back up onto the mountain later for 40 more days, uh, to pray for the people more. So he does a lot of petitioning, um, a lot of, a lot of asking for forgiveness, um, Uh, during that, during this episode, Deuteronomy nine and 10 is when this is talked about, but there are three times that he goes up onto the mountain and for 40 days, he's doing something, getting the law, praying for forgiveness, um, re kind of helping reinstitute the covenant that they had literally just gotten the month before. And then they broke, um, in the law of the old Testament, um, the jar that was used for ritual cleansing, um, which is called the mikvah, um, it was the amount of water that you had in there um, was a unit called uh, se'im, and it was 40 se'im, um, which is just a, and I think that that's something like 200 or 300 gallons. I can't remember um, exactly what it is. So this is where we see 40 all throughout the Old Testament. Um, these aren't the only cases. These are just some of the, the major cases. But what we see here is that in each of these instances, in each of these 40s, there's this change in the story of Noah. There was a change of the world being under God's wrath to the world being under God's grace after He gives the rainbow and He says, "I'm never going to wipe out the earth. I'm never going to destroy the earth again uh, because of its sin um, or people because of their sin." Um, there's that change. There's there's a there's a there's a a new a new era a new epoch of time has begun. Um, then of course the the forty years of um, wandering in the desert, Um, and maybe I forgot to mention that. Um, There are 40 years of wandering in the desert as well. And um, after the Israelites show their lack of faith in entering the promised land, they have to wander for 40 years. Um, And that denotes a generation. 40 years is a generation. Um, So everyone who not everyone, but almost everyone who who was faithless would have died by that time. So it's one whole generation past. There was a a shift in time, like a different era, a different generation had begun. Um, The faithless generation to the faithful generation that entered the the promised land. Um, Moses on Sinai, those three times shows um, a shift from the Israelites um, receiving the law, um, not being under in covenant with with God um, in the Mosaic law to being under covenant with God and in covenant with God and same thing with the forgiveness we have they broke the law, Moses appeals for them uh, for 40 days and they're under God's grace. there's always this shift um, from one mode of being or one time frame or one epoch of time or era of time to another as well with the ritual cleansing you went from unclean, to clean after you went through that ritual cleansing in the jar full of 40 sa'im of water. Um, There's So the 40 in the Old Testament, the theme that we see of 40 is kind of denoting this change from the old to the new, um, this transition from one era to the next, from one epoch of time to the next, from one time period or state of being to another. That's the shift that we see in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, um, Jesus uh, was very intentional about um, the things that he did um, and the way that he did them would hearken back to um, these Old Testament stories. And in in the three um, synoptic gospels, um, Jesus, after he is baptized, goes into the desert to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And so, again, here we see another shift, Um, and and especially in Mark. Uh, Mark really kind of emphasizes the shift, because as soon as Jesus leaves the desert um, after 40 days of being tempted, he proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand. So it goes from this, the kingdom of God is not at hand, to the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the shift, the, the one time period to a new time period. Jesus before his ministry to Jesus during his ministry, where he's proclaiming and enacting the kingdom of God in its fullness in the world. Um, and that's a shift that we see. And then, um, finally there's, there are 40 days between Christ's, um, ascension, um, from, uh, to heaven to the time of Pentecost. Um, that's 40 days of waiting. He tells the, the apostles, the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem. 40 days later, they received the holy spirit here again we see a shift from one mode of being one time period before the gifts of the holy spirit before the indwelling of the holy spirit in believers to after so 40 represents the shift of time um and it's this is kind of how how it operates now when it comes to the way that we practice lent today it it ties directly into this 40 days where jesus is tempted that's kind of the main image that we have when we think about our um, our time uh, of Lent, because we we kind of repeat Jesus's work in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan and actually defeating Satan um, in that time, and then enacting God's kingdom. And the thing that he does right before he goes into the desert to be tempted is he was baptized. And so this actually, uh, this Lent ties into baptism and um, uh, historically, but also in the in the kind of biblical imagination of the church, um, we attach um, Lent to baptism, which is why we start Lent with Ash Wednesday, which Ash Wednesday um, is is a festival of the church. Um, it's a uh, it's a holy day, and it marks the beginning of Lent. And what we do during Ash Wednesday is the, the big thing that we do is the imposition of ashes where we make the cross on people's head with ash. And we say, uh, from dust you have come, and to dust you will return. And uh, it's a way to kick off Lent by reminding people that they're going to die. Um, and this um, comes from uh, a couple places in Genesis and in Ecclesiastes. Genesis 2.7 um, says, The Lord God formed the human from the topsoil or from the dirt of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils, and the human came to life. And then in the rebellion or the the fall, um, in Genesis 3, verse 19, uh, God says to the man, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread until you return to the fertile land. Since from it, you were taken, you are soil and to the soil you will return. And then the um, author of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, he picks up on this theme in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 20 and 12, verse 7, he says, all go to the same place. All are from dust and all return to the dust. Before dust, and then this is chapter 12, before dust, humans returned um, to the earth as it was before, and the life breath returns to God who gave it. So um, so from dust you are, you have been brought up into life by God's grace, to dust you will return, you will die. And so we kick off Lent with this focus on death and this focus on um, our mortality and again, this is all baptismal because before there can be a resurrection, there has to be a death. There has to be Good Friday in order for there to be an Easter Sunday. So we start our preparation for Easter by going through our own Good Friday experience, by going through our own face, being faced with mortality. And we're reminded from scripture that we are going to die and then we spend this Lent, this time of Lent, these 40 days um, transitioning into this new way of being, this new mode of operation, this new epoch in time, and that is resurrection. And again, this is tied to baptism. Um, and as and the kind of main text of baptism um, is Romans 6, 4, where he says, therefore, we have been buried with Christ through baptism into death. Um, so as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, we too, may walk in newness of life. Um, so we are we are buried with Jesus when we are baptized, and we are resurrected with Jesus when we are baptized. And so Lent is this long practice of of thinking about this change in us, where we kind of we die to ourselves, which is why we fast, right? We die to ourselves. We're reminded at the beginning that we're going to die. We spend forty days. Um, keeping ourselves from from doing things that give us pleasure um, and by engaging in practices that give us life. And then on Easter, we celebrate, we break our fast, um, and then we can, we can enter into this new season um, of life where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and our own uh, resurrection hope um, and our own new creation as we are new creatures now. And we kind of move forward from the year um, into into Pentecost after that. Um, So that's kind of the biblical background. Uh, The 40 is a big, big theme. Jesus' work in the desert is a big theme. The baptismal, the whole kind of overarching baptismal narrative of death to resurrection being extended um, to those 46 days with Sundays um, from Ash Wednesday to Easter. And uh, and so that's the biblical background. And this is what's so cool about Lent, I think, is that um, although, yes, Lent is not talked about explicitly in Scripture. Uh, but certainly the practice of Lent is informed by biblical themes. And so um, this is actually a way to help us engage creatively with Scripture using our bodies and to kind of replay all these 40s. Um, we get to replay all these um, these narratives where 40 makes plays a big part in them. We our old self dies. With those who died in the flood, and then we are resurrected, and we are given a promise by God um, after forty days on the day of Easter. So we get to kind of be, we get to kind of play out the narrative of Noah by our old selves dying, um, and our and our new self in Christ being rescued on the ark. We get to replay the um, the forty years of the Israelites being unfaithful in the desert, where we can mourn. Um, Our own sin. We can be penitent for our own sin. We can ask for forgiveness. We can be doing this work of rooting out sin within us. Um, We get to actually like replay that narrative with our bodies and um, with our with our spirits. Um, We get to uh, replay Moses being on Sinai by receiving from God. We can engage in more scripture and we can do um, spiritual practices that help us engage with God through prayer and through scripture. So we get to kind of walk in Moses' sandals. For forty days, we get to kind of replay that narrative of of Moses being up in the on Mount Sinai with our bodies. We can um, we can replay and enact uh, Jesus's temptations for forty days, where we are constantly tempted by the things that we have fasting. We're fasting from, and we get to say, "No, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word of the mouth of God." We can we get to engage in these stories with our bodies, with our minds with our spirits. And so it's actually a way of enacting scripture with our with ourselves, um, with our bodies, um, which I think is really cool. It's a cool way to engage in scripture and it's a cool way to engage in Lent. So that's the biblical backing um, that we see uh, for Lent um, in scripture. That was a lot of information that Pastor Ben and I just threw at you guys. I imagine, I do this a lot when I listen to podcasts. I, I'll listen to them two or three times if they're particularly dense. Um, you may find that profitable to listen to this several times to just kind of uh, rest in that information So that was a lot of information, but now I want to transition here uh, for the last few minutes um, Pastor Ben, can can we just talk a little bit about? And we've hinted at them, but I want to um, kind of like tie tie a nice bow around this. And let's talk about the benefits that we get from Lent. Let's just kind of rehash those benefits, um, rearticulate them, so that people can uh, feel like they want to engage in these practices.
1: Yeah, for me personally, I think it's. <clears throat>
0: I don't know if there is one
1: uniform, I can probably put my finger on a benefit, I guess. Um, but for me personally, I think that idea of, of sacrifice and uh, is, is a huge part of my life. So as we were talking and as pastor Eric was working through the, the 40 days and all those things and thinking about my own 40 day journey coming up, I, w- I was thinking, what are the things in my life that have control over me? Mm-hmm. Right, which which forces us to really stop and think, because most time we don't we don't think things have control over us until we try to remove them from our lives, and then we realize that thing totally has control over me. Yeah. You know, I, I get on my phone and I always go to that app, no matter what. Like it has control over mm-hmm. me. It mm-hmm. beckons me. It, it calls me. Uh, and the problem as a Christian is that's exactly what our what our Savior is doing, right? He's beckoning us and calling us. Mm-hmm. So the question is. When, when those callings happen, right? When, the, when Christ calls for us or our app calls for us or that food calls for us, which one do we go to? Hmm. And I think for most of us, the, the common human experience is we go to that app on our phone. We go to the TV. We go to our Pepsi. We go to fill in the blank, right? And so I think one of the spiritual benefits is simply acknowledging that. Who is really controlling my life? is it sports? is it my team? is it my phone? is it this store? Mm. is it my pocketbook? and we stop and we give those things up and we push them out of our lives and then we give that control back to God. We don't just fill it in with something else. Obviously that's worthless, right? We don't just like I'm not going to watch TV, I'll watch movies. <laughs> uh you know, obviously that's that's worthless. We we give that space back to God. And so for me personally, I mean just to be transparent, I was thinking, okay, well I could give up some sort of social media. And in those moments when I want to flip on my phone and go there, instead I'm gonna pray. Like that will be my my reminder. I go to that space where it normally is and it's not there or I have it blocked and it asks me to put in the password to unblock it. And I'm like, oh yeah, that has control over me. I need to go to God. Or hey Instead of you get bored at home and you go to Amazon before you know it, there's five packages coming to your house that you don't really need. Uh, Amazon and and maybe just shopping in general has control over you. You get home and you can't go to sleep unless you watch your show or at least a show or whatever that is that has control over you. And so I think that one of the benefits for me personally is just stopping and thinking Mm -hmm. what has control over me, Mm -hmm. right? What has control over me? And then taking an honest assessment of your life, yeah. especially in the Ash Wednesday experience, and, and letting that die.
0: Mm.
1: Letting that die, at least for 40 days, getting that, giving that control back over to God, and then building that new healthy pattern. So when you, when you are resurrected, when Christ is resurrected on Sunday, we're resurrected with him, we, we continue that celebration for the next number of days as we wait once again for that experience. To repent, to remove, to recalibrate and to go back to God. And I, I'm telling you, if you if you do this, if you take an assessment, you remove that from your life and turn to God in that area, you're gonna experience some amazing benefit mm-hmm. and feel so much closer in your relationship with Christ because you will be that much closer in your relationship with Christ. So this year, don't just say, hey, I'm gonna give up this and then you fill it with something else, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up chocolate, but instead I eat caramel. Uh, give up something that has control over you and give that control back to God and and watch what he can do with your life. So I think that's one of the the core commonalities of the spiritual benefits of Lent. How about you, Pastor Eric? What kind of sticks out to you as a spiritual benefit during this season?
0: Yeah, yeah. Again, I kinda I kinda mentioned this earlier, but um I think it's tempting to look at Lent almost as like an opportunity to diet. It's like, oh, this is I'm doing the things that I should normally do. So it's like during Lent I'm gonna eat healthier. I'm not going to go to the fast food place and I'm going to have a salad. Well, you should be doing that anyway, right? Like you should be, you should be eating the salad anyway. Um, and so I don't like to look at Lent um, as an opportunity to like, quote unquote, like do the things I'm supposed to do. And you just like dedicate yourself for 40 days doing them. Um, I'm more like you. I, I, I want to identify um, the, the areas in my life where I'm experiencing um, a little bit of like blindness or deafness to God. Um, or things that I'm like, yeah, filling, um, filling myself with something instead of filling it with God. Um, so I like the image, and I talked about this last year during our Linton services, of, of taking off and picking up, that we take off our old things and we pick up new things. Um, so I don't like the idea of just fasting, but I, I want to do, it, it should be fasting with something. Um, and so you add you add a practice that you don't normally do. Um, and you, you include that in there. So, um, yeah, so usually, um, I take lint as an opportunity to trim back, um, on things like social media. That's usually, um, a kind of a, a, a weak spot in my, in my life. Like most people today where you just like, just like you mentioned, you just go there, you know? Um, and before you know it, I'm flipping through Instagram and I'm looking at the pictures that I've already looked at twice today, uh, because they're just not updating, you know, Uh, there aren't any new posts. so I'm just going to look at the old posts. Um, so kind of limiting myself and I usually just take those off of my phone. Um, and then, um, I have a program on my computer that locks me out of those on my work computer during the day. Um, so I usually use those two tools, um, to just not engage in social media, um, as often. And I find that to be helpful. And then instead of doing that, um, uh, doing a, a new morning prayer routine um, is usually what I add during Lent. Um, so instead of just my normal prayers, which are uh, pretty basic, um, they're just kind of like the Lutheran um, morning prayers in the, in the small catechism. Um, I'll add something to that. Um, so I'll do more morning prayer. I'll take more time with that. Um, so yeah, so I always try to like take something away and then add something that'll be beneficial. So um, I think that that's... So don't take it as an opportunity to, quote-unquote, do the things you're supposed to do anyway, like eating salad instead of uh, fast food. Like really think, like like Pastor Ben said, identify those areas that you're weak and um, identify those areas that you're filling yourself with something instead of God. Um, cut those things down or out and then fill them instead with God um, and not with just another another thing. So good. Any final thoughts, Pastor Ben?
1: No, I hopefully you guys got some great benefit out of today. I know I did personally. And so whether you did or not, I don't care, because that's something for me this morning. <laughs> this is good for us, that's right. No, I, I hope you guys got something good this morning. Hope you learned some history. Hope you saw the biblical tie-ins. And then hopefully, 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 you've already started thinking about these things of like, hey, what has control over me? What's not healthy for me? Uh, not in the diet sense, but just in the spiritual sense. Right. Where do I need to move? Where is God calling me? Start having those conversations Because when Ash Wednesday hits, uh, we want to put those into play. And obviously, if not even sooner. But for all you who are celebrating, all of you who are celebrating uh, Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday, uh, you can wait until midnight, I guess, and (laughs) uh, flip that switch on. Awesome.
0: All right. Thank you, Pastor Ben. Appreciate it. Uh, Next week, guys, we are going to be walking through how we practice Lent. Um, here at New Life. So um, we're going to be walking through our services, um, Ash Wednesday, Lent, and the Holy Week. And then we're going to be talking about um, practical things that you can do, things that that Pastor Ben and I encourage you to do um, during this Lent season. So God bless you guys. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you later.